So welcome back to our third episode this week. If you're just now tuning in this week in honor of Brain Awareness Week, hosted by the University of Tennessee Knoxville, we are releasing an episode each day with a guest. We will be interviewing someone on a special topic within neuroscience. On our third episode, we have Michaela Stoggs deal with us today. So Michaela, if you could just go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what you do here at UT. Yeah, so I'm Michaela Stogsdale. I'm a junior here at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I'm a double major in public administration and Russian studies. I'm also the president of the Tennessee Speech and Debate Society, which is UT's uh, debate team. I do quite a few other things on campus. So I work a little bit in the Center for Student Engagement. I'm a Baker Scholar. I do a little bit of public policy research for them. Uh, do a lot, quite a bit of a lot uh, in Haslam business. But mostly debate. That's where I, I enjoy my enjoy my time the most oh, that, yeah it sounds like you've got a pretty full schedule yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah so how did you get involved with uh, debate yeah so I, I think like this question really brought up a story that came about freshman year quite a few years ago so I was walking on Ped walkway and you know how uh, we have those apps on our phones where the you can pull up the UT map mm-hmm. I was trying to look where all these buildings were because now I know them but I didn't at the time and I remember I, I like got this big pull on my backpack, and this guy behind me said, "Don't step on the seal." And I was about to step on the UT seal. And oh God! It, it was like super interesting because I was like, "Wow, what's going on?" You know, this freshman is just walking around, but it eventually turned into you know this guy and I talked, and I had always kind of felt uncomfortable on campus as a freshman. Most freshmen probably feel that. But he told me, you know, the biggest way that I can become a part of the UT family is to become involved. And so I really credit him for me getting involved in a lot of different organizations. I tried, you know, I did mock trial in high school, so I knew that I liked to argue. I did want to do something slightly different. And Mm -hmm. so when I signed up for the debate team, it just fit. Uh, So it it was what I wanted to do for, you know, an academic achievement kind of organization. But it also pushed me to be better. And so, you know, that's where I kind of melded into the debate team here. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, we wanted to uh, have you on to kind of show um, a little bit more of like um, the psychology and techniques yeah. used in debating, um, just because it's something that we haven't covered yet, no. and uh, neither of us are involved in debate, yeah. but we're heavily involved with like neuroscience and psychology, so mm-hmm. we think it would be like a really cool um, kind of conversation that we've got going on. So our first kind of um, question that we want to start off with is, are debates and arguments the same thing? You know, I that's that's probably funny because I think that this question probably is debatable. I think people <laughs> would probably disagree with what I'm about to say, at least somewhere in the world. But I think on a fundamental level, the answer is no. Uh, that typically debate is mm, this formal type of what we think of when we're thinking of like a presidential debate. Uh, if you think of the debate team, our debates are very formal. We have times that we speak, we have ways in which we can speak, there are very formal rules around a debate. But an argument is used, first of all, within a debate. They're not exactly synonymous. But then arguments are something that we do every single day. It's really just a claim that you're making and a reason why I should support that claim. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, when you asked me to come on this podcast, you said, hey, you should come on here you know, because of X, Y, and Z. That's mm-hmm. an argument at its root. Mm-hmm. You didn't debate with me right. over that. But an argument is just a claim that you're trying to change the status quo in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, before
before you asked me, there's no way I would come on this podcast because I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. But you're mm-hmm. trying to ch- make that, that change in the status quo. Mm-hmm. That's really the root of what an art commitment is. We do it every single day. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So what kind of prep work or practice strategy occurs before the debate actually happens? Yeah, so for specifically the UT debate team, we compete in IPDate, which is the International Public Debate Association. Uh, there are di- quite a few different forms of debate, but specifically for us, what we get is we get like this, this little piece of paper, and it has five different statements, but they're also known as resolutions, uh, that are all quote-unquote debatable. So they're things that we can see that there is someone that agrees with that statement and there's someone that disagrees with that statement. Mm-hmm. And I'm given either the affirmative or I'm the negative. So either I am going to affirm it or I'm going to say, no, 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 that's not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I strike down from those five into one, and there's a process for that, I then have 30 minutes to research, synthesize, organize. You know, I can talk with my team. I can, I obviously have my computer and the internet. Uh, and so I have 30 minutes to get it ready. And then after those 30 minutes, the debate happens. Mm-hmm. So we really like IPDA because it forces you not to just read from a script uh, it, it really forces you to do what we call like a common man. That's like a very old terminology for it, but like common debate uh, in the sense of I'm convincing a lay judge, someone that doesn't know anything about the topic, or they might know a lot. I don't know. That's the point of it. Mm-hmm. And my point is to quickly be able to convince you of something. So that's kind of the, the raw bones of how our prep works in a debate. And isn't that at all daunting, like going in and not, maybe you don't know something about the topic? No, yeah. So, (laughs) that's actually really funny. A lot of our novices get nervous. Novice is just a first year debater. Right. And they they get nervous, and they definitely do. I definitely did. Even my last sermon, we were at Bossier Parish uh, in Louisiana, and I remember striking into an affirmative resolution, and it was just FISA should be repealed. I had no idea what FISA was, and it turned out to be this Congress Amendment about intelligence surveillance, but, you know, it, it forces you to take a stand. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't think I'm an expert on FISA, but I could give you an argument for why FISA should be repealed, and even though I argued affirmative, I could still probably give you the negatives argument, too. So that's really mm-hmm. where I think you gain a lot, is... Yeah, I learned how to argue for the affirmative in that 30 minutes, but I definitely know both sides of the argument on a topic that I had no idea before that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of um, strategies are used whenever you are debating? Because you said um, there are certain things that you can and cannot say, right? Yeah, so, you know, in IPDA, there are a few things that you can, like, not say. You Mm -hmm. definitely can say them, but they're probably against the Uh, But the big thing about IPDA is it focuses a lot on persuasion and rhetoric. So there's like this one rule in IPDA where the affirmative has the right to define the round. So there's a couple of like different examples of resolutions in which we don't understand. uh, Unless the affirmative gives it some definitions, it doesn't make sense. Like an example could be this house believes that there are too many cooks in the kitchen. Like, that is very much a resolution that I could see. Mm-hmm. Well, we're obviously not talking about, like, a literal kitchen. We could be talking about that there's too many educational, you know, uh, supervisors in education. I could argue that. Mm-hmm. But I have to define that. Okay. So affirmative can't 
misdefine it in the sense that I define something in which it becomes true. Uh, so uh, the example I think of is traditional TV is dying. I actually hated like that resolution itself, mm-hmm. and I was negative, and the affirmative defined it as traditional TV is declining in viewership. Well, it literally is. Mm-hmm. So that is no longer what we consider debatable. That's against the rules. But as negative, I can't just call off the debate. Right. Uh, I had to. I had to use logic and tell the judge, "Hey, this isn't right here. The negative has literally no ground to come up here and argue that mm-hmm. because it's just true, mm-hmm. uh, and that's against the rules." And I won that case not because they could look at the rules and be like, "Oh yeah." Because it made sense mm-hmm. that it, it, it was breaking the rules. So that's where we're coming at with there are, are strategies in order to win, but it has to be rooted in logic. It has to be rooted in rhetoric and pretty much research-backed as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So are there different types or categories of debates and um, are some better than others? Uh, so that question is also interesting in the fact that I think it's debatable, right, (laughs) on, on, I think, personal preference. So I really prefer policy rounds. I like it when I'm arguing something that the U.S. federal government should change blank, Uh, but there are quite a few people on our team that like very philosophical rounds. I know, go back freshman year, I'm a novice, I'm debating in the novice national championships finals round high stakes high rewards here and it's a resolution that's quote we are who we choose to be very different right and i'm negative so it's like very different than the u.s federal government should increase infrastructure spending two those two resolutions you could see on the same strike sheet it just depends on where you strike It, it, it depends on which you pick essentially in the end so some people prefer other topics, obviously. If you're strong suit, if you're really into sports and you know a lot about sports, you're probably going to strike into sports more. But if you're really comfortable in arguing these policy rounds, then you're probably going to strike into policy rounds. The biggest thing for me is I try and teach over and over that you shouldn't have a preference, mm-hmm. uh, even though we all kind of do at the end of the day. But you really shouldn't get into this rut of, oh, I'm only good at debating this. Because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're only going to be good at debating that because you think you're only good at debating that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for me, no. I don't think that there are some types that are better inherently than others. But sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that. That was very philosophical. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, So I guess going to the uh, nonverbal parts of the uh, debate, how does body language play a role uh, in the debate setting? So on a theoretical basis, it doesn't, Mm -hmm. but we all know it does, right? We all know that how you look, how you sound, what you come in with, you know, on your flow is going to affect a judge's perception of you. Um, But on a theoretical rule basis, IPA really tries to say that it doesn't matter how you dress, it doesn't matter how you sound, that you the argument itself is going to is what's going to win you the round Mm -hmm. so but we do see this divide so in a in a debate round i not only am arguing a side and i'm trying to win the argument but i also get speaker points Mm -hmm. uh and that is just saying how well i spoke 
So the big thing to know is the better speaker doesn't necessarily win mm -hmm. the debate. We can see a situation in which that happens. But judges are typically going to say that the better speaker wins the round because we know, we know that charisma mm -hmm. and looking the part of a debater mm -hmm. is going to give you an edge. Yeah. Uh, and there's quite a few different examples of that just in real life. But yeah. yeah. So I guess in that, in that case, um, you could really say that first impressions really do matter. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So a quick story. I was uh, debating a guy named Clark from Union University, and he, he'd be fine with this. <laughs> he beat me in the round anyway, so it didn't matter. Uh, and it was last year, junior varsity division, and we were like really competitive. Clark and I were competing like at the top of our divisions, uh, but it was a preliminary round, so it wasn't like too high of stakes. No matter who won this round, we were both going to break uh, into out rounds, which is really what matters at a tournament. Mm -hmm. And I was affirmative on the resolution that women's basketball should lower uh, the ring, uh, that they should lower it, because that right now, I, I think, at least at the time, it was the same height as men's basketball. There were quite a few different reasons why perhaps you would say it should be lowered and negative as well. But I remember on the ballot sheet, the Clark eventually won, so negative one. Uh, and it was an equal speaking score, and it was perfect scores on both of ours, which was like, oh, okay, great. Uh, you gave me a 40 out of 40, but you gave me the loss, whatever, okay. <laughs> and moving on from that, I, I read the RFD, which is the reason for decision on a ballot, and they have to give those on every single, uh, every single debate. Mm -hmm. And it, all it said was that, you know, this really was a tie, but I just kind of liked Clark more. Man, wow! You know, and like really think about that when you when you're really good, or even you know somewhere in the middle, when you're debating someone that is pretty much equal to you in skill of debate, there are some things, little things, the judges are going to look at in order to determine the winner. That was the most clear cut that I've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. But I know that it happens on other ballots too. You can kind of almost infer it, and I like to tell that story, Clark. Clark and I are okay on that one. Okay. <laughs> he knew that that wasn't a great RFD, but yeah, that, that's what I think of mm -hmm. when I think of, you know, these nonverbal cues of mm -hmm. how judges are affected by it, by us and mm -hmm. how we speak. Yeah, great story. I, I can definitely think of a few examples in my own life that applies. Yeah. Um, so continuing with uh, strategies that are used in debate, um, as far as attacking your opponent or changing the views of the audience, um, how does that play into um, the debate team and what y'all do? Yeah, so, you know, I think ultimately the debate team is supposed to give you a foundation to go and change society. You know, whether it be you work in a business and you want to convince your boss that you're right on whatever, or that you're going to go run for some public office and you want to convince the public that you're right. That's what we're doing is, you know, research-backed arguments. Can you do that? Can you present that well? So, you know, we were just talking about nonverbal cues. Is like the, the speaking score, in my opinion, is almost as valuable as the argument itself. You, you really can't have an argument if you're just really bad at presenting it because that's all we listen to. If mm -hmm. you really look at the news right now, we listen to the people that make you want to listen to them. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that the things that go into that is one confidence. Confidence is key. If I if I look at you right now and I tell you a statistic that is wrong, but I look at you and I say that it's right, you are probably going to accept mm-hmm. it. I'm like this is just what happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that we see that with like this wave of quote unquote like fake news. That's what happens is you see a very mm-hmm. confident person looking you in the eye, telling you things that maybe are a little bit different than what you would suspect. But if it's confident enough, why would you question it? Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest one, in my opinion, is you have to walk in with confidence, especially on rounds that you're not confident in, that you don't know a lot about. And you can win rounds just on the fact that you think, like the judge thinks, you know more than what your opponent knew. Mm-hmm. Then the other big one, and I think that this really goes into more of like the psychology of it, is listening to your opponent. I can't tell you how many times that I'll read ballots from my other debaters, and it just says, well, I think you misinterpreted the opponent's argument. That is really easily avoidable if you just listen. And then on the flip side of that, there's quite a few ballots that I've read from my own ballots or whoever's ballots where it said, you know, you used your opponent's arguments against them, like their direct quotes. You can't do that if you don't listen to what the opposition is saying. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that that's where the strongest arguments come from is when you actually listen to what they're saying, you write that down, and then you think, why doesn't that make sense? Mm That is where a strong argument comes from. And if you can mix that with confidence, it's really hard to vote against. It's really hard to think, oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So we just discussed like all sorts of different um, strategies and how um, all these different you know, bullet points can play into a debate. And it's quite a, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so how can people who are not super comfortable um, with the concept of debating or like uh, just debating in general become better at it? So like what steps would they have to take? The first step is to try. And that doesn't mean you have to go to a debate tournament and <laughs> face people that have been doing this for years. It just means, you know, going on the, the far extreme of the spectrum, maybe speaking out in class if you disagree with something that someone else says. That's hard for some students. I know that. Mm-hmm. But if you never try, there's little I can do for you. You know, you you could listen to these tips all day on how to win a debate. If you can't accept conflict to some degree, then you can never deal with conflict, in my opinion. You can't convince anyone of anything. Mm -hmm. So if you go back to, like, that debate theory that we were talking about a little bit, is the affirmative is always advocating for a slight or big change in the status quo. Always. Uh, It has to work like that. Um... And so if we can look logically at what a change in the status quo is, all it is is saying there's a problem. You are admitting that there is, you are actually advocating for a little bit of conflict. That word has such negative connotations and I hate that Mm -hmm. because I think, and I hear it every day, is people, students, peers, tell me that they hate conflict. Conflict is change, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. In order to create change, you have to acknowledge that there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so for me, the first step is just being willing to admit that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, really, 
the next is, you know, to try, to try at it. It's not only are you going to be comfortable with it, but to let other people criticize you. That was hard. Um, to not only be willing to, to say your piece, but are you willing to hear what other people have to say about what you said? Um, so being comfortable in your own skin, being comfortable with your own opinion, but being willing to maybe change a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is the first step. After that, join an organization in which you have to color too. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is the next step. Model UN, mock trial, debate. You don't have to love debate, and I really encourage this to students. You don't have to join debate, but I really encourage you to better your public speaking in your four years of undergraduate, mm-hmm. or graduate even. Do something with that, because the world needs it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, but that's the next one, is to join something in which you're forced to do it mm-hmm. over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, was, that was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I want to kind of uh, turn it, I guess, to a personal side. Um, so how have you seen, because you're a junior now, yeah. so you've been in debate for three years, uh, how, what effects or what changes have you seen in your own personal life or what growth have you seen after participating in this organization? So for me, uh, after high school, I was okay with giving like a prepared speech. Like I said, I did mock trial for four years in high school. That took a lot. Um, But debating, especially like off the cuff with these 30 minute presentations, not only has it forced me to just become better as a speaker. You just do. If you do this enough and you want to grow from it, you're going to have to read those ballads, make a couple of changes, Mm -hmm. be a better advocate. Mm -hmm. But the other part of this, and I think that this kind of of goes into the importance of student organizations, is uh, our debate team is the only student-run team on the bracket. All the other debate teams have like a full-time coach, uh, they're typically university funded. We're not. Oh wow! So that is a big deal because not only am I going in and I love debating, I love doing the one on one, but I am forced into a position of if I don't lead, this team doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think that that is something that if you can try and do, mm-hmm. try and find a role, and I think you like you guys are doing this, but all the other people you know, on this campus that are like, I want to be a leader, you got to go just do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so that is the other big thing. It's not only, you know, I could tell you that I'm a much better public speaker. People come to me just like you guys. Yeah. When they think of debating, they right now they think of me, which is a super weird thing, <laughs> if I'm just honest, yeah. to be on a campus and it's like, oh, you're the debate person. Yeah, mm-hmm. right now I am. But also to have a family and to be able to teach freshmen, hey, this is going to be okay. Hey, you lost this round, but it's 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 just a debate round. We're going to be okay. The impact is what's important. Mm-hmm. Is we come home, we come on campus, and you go in your class and you're making better grades because you now understand arguments. Mm-hmm. That I think is what debate has given me is that platform to create actual small, incremental, but aggregate change on campus. That's really awesome. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. Is there anything else you would want to add? Any plugs for the debate team meetings, maybe, or any other organizations um, that are affiliated with the debate team? Yeah, so, well, we meet uh, in HSS Humanities and Social Sciences 206 every Thursday at 8 p.m. You, another unique thing about us is we do not require tryouts. A part of our mission is that we really want to provide a good debate foundation, regardless of you know, socioeconomic, educational, religious background, and we feel like trials kind of inhibit that. Uh, and so, literally, no matter what your experiences will take you. Yeah. Uh, and that's an interesting part of who we are. So, if you want to come by, you literally can, and I'll take you, and I'll <laughs> right. teach you right then in an hour how to debate. The thing is, is you're going to debate, and you're not going to like it the first time, <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to debate because it's better for you. Yeah. Uh, the other big thing is, I think you know, if you're if you're not wanting to travel with the debate team, first of all, you don't have to travel to be on our team. But if you're wanting something little, I think you know the Baker Center. I, I work a lot with them. Their research, their mission is a lot similar uh, to what the debate team does. If you're wanting to do research in public policy, I think that they give you a lot of that research background that we try and do a little less rhetoric. Uh, if you want the rhetoric, you come to us. But you know, I think that that's also another place on campus. If you're looking for something similar, you you could go there too. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So that concludes our third episode for brain awareness for the brain awareness campaign. And a big thank you to Michaela Stogsdill for coming and talking about this with us. If you're interested in learning more about the brain awareness campaign, be sure to visit the brainawareness.utk.edu website for all the details. And thank you for tuning in.